Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time you might be listening to this. This is the Jared Barnes Show. I'm your host, Jared Barnes. And uh, big weekend in sports coming up, some college football, some NFL football that's going to be happening. Uh, some huge news that uh, happened this week that I have to talk about. Um, in this episode, we actually have a special guest, Cade Elkins. He came on. That's what we'll end the episode with was we talked for about a half hour or so. The actual uh, video is currently right now up on YouTube. So if you want to check that out there, you can do that. And yeah, it's up there. I'm going to talk about Le'Veon Bell, um, how he fits with the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, the Jets. I'm going to talk about my game of the week. And then I'm going to, we're going to go into the, um, I, I watched a game last night on ESPN, a high school game. Arch Manning played in it, and I'm extremely excited about it. I apologize if you hear the beeping in the background. There is literally nothing I can do about it. I'm trying to adjust the mic to get it to go away. That is from construction going on in my neighborhood. But anyways, let's just get right into it. Topic number one. Le'Veon Bell was cut by the Jets this week. Early on Tuesday night before uh, the game, Tennessee Titans versus the Buffalo Bills. And that set the football world on fire. It set it ablaze. And he's now signed with KC. And honestly, I was shocked. They were trying to trade him, supposedly, since sometime last year. And uh, it's been clear since day one that Bell and Gase have been an awful fit. Gase's stuck-up attitude and Bell's big ego were doomed to not work. And the fact that they survived an entire season together was amazing. It blew my mind. Bell is a very patient runner. His style of running is a lot different from other NFL running backs, and it's maybe a lot different than what the New York Jets are used to. Maybe it's a lot different than what uh, the New York Jets coaching staff is used to. And the O-line that was in New York was not built for a runner with Bell's style of running. It's not built for a runner with Bell's ability. It's not built for a good team. Let's be honest, that Jets offensive line is pretty porous and Sam Donald gets uh, killed on quite a regular occasion. Now, the line does not change how good a receiver Bell is. Bell had 66 catches last year still. He could line up and be anybody's number two wide receiver in the NFL still, in my opinion. There aren't many running backs that could line up in the backfield like he does, be successful, and then just go line up and be your number two wide receiver. There isn't. There just isn't. Christian McCaffrey, maybe. Alvin Kamara, yes. There isn't a whole lot. Like Todd Gurley, some people said back in the day, but he just did a lot of screens and took it to the house because his offensive line was blocking for him. But, you know, even in a down year, Bell ran for 800-plus yards and caught 66 yards and caught 66 balls for 400 yards. So the people saying Bell is washed are dead wrong. They're dead wrong. I saw so many people saying, it's a great move by the Jets. They won't have to pay him. He stinks. He's washed. He can't do nothing. No, it's not true at all. Like The guy's a very good running back with quite a bit left in the tank, in my opinion. And if he lands in the right situation, like he landed in with KC, I could see him doing very well. Now, he signed a one-year deal with Kansas City, and the lineup of weapons that they have now is just absolutely absurd everyone knows it but the weapons on that offense just baffle my mind and the whole way down the depth chart it like all their positions on offense it just blows my mind people forget that like Damian Williams was on this roster to start the season before he opted out but this roster consists of Tyreek Hill Sammy Watkins Miko Hardman Travis Kelsey Clyde Edwards-Alaire Le'Veon Bell I mean there is some talent on that team. And then you consider that they have one of the best throwers of the football in Patrick Mahomes. It's insane what they have. And one has to wonder, going back to Damian Williams here, whether or not he'll be in KC next year. They drafted Clyde Edwards-Alaire. He's been running the football very well. They have Daryl Williams. He's their backup. Now Le'Veon Bell is also on the team, but he signed a one-year deal. And... Is Damian Williams going to be able to come back to this team and be like, hey, I'm re I'm re going to try to retake my spot? Where does he fit into the mix? Will Bell be there next year in KC if all works out decently and he his value doesn't get majorly above? I think he will 
prove to the world why he's still a great running back in this league and probably get another payday. Maybe not one that's so big, but he'll sign with another team for a decent amount of money and uh, maybe help them compete for a ring if he doesn't stay in KC. But when I look at that KC offense now, I automatically think this is a team that could and probably should make it to the Super Bowl, especially with the addition of Le'Veon Bell. It just adds all up into that. And now even like even in Pittsburgh, when Le'Veon Bell was a running back, he seemingly got better with the amount of touches that he got. The more touches that he got, the better he got. So later in the game, he was doing things to people that was just killer. And that he actually earned the nickname the Chiefs Killer at one point. So it's kind of funny that the Chiefs ended up signing him. And one of the reasons that they did end up signing him is because Andy Reid knows just, you know, how good this guy is and how good he can be and how potent he could be to an offense. And I can only imagine what an offensive mind like Reed was thinking when he saw Le'Veon Bell come up as free agency. I expect him and like Andy Reed to have probably already a plan in place where he wants to use Le'Veon as soon as possible. And I do not expect Bell to be active this week for Monday night's game versus the Bills. Nor do I expect him to start at any point over the next couple of weeks. I think it's still CEH's job, but I do expect the Chiefs to slowly over the next couple of weeks when they can, as soon as possible, when they can get him in there, he's going to get touches and they're going to slowly start feeding him to the point where at some point, I think it would not shock me if he starts over Edwards Alaire. And that's no offense to Edwards Alaire, but he is still a rookie and Bella is a seasoned vet that is still in the latter part of his prime. I mean, it's just facts. I can only begin to imagine the formations and plays that Reed has dreamed up and thought of since he first originally thought that, man, I actually have a shot to land Le'Veon Bell. I'm just so excited for Le'Veon Bell. Nothing makes me more happy than to know that Le'Veon Bell is getting a second shot with a with an actual actually good NFL team that wants to win and an organization that is attempting to do something positive in the world of football by winning a game instead of the Jets who just continually wanted to tank and lose and not get better. So I'm excited that Le'Veon Bell was able to get out from underneath that Adam Gase in New York. And I, I just can't wait to watch Bell's return to prosperity in football because I, I believe that KC was the perfect place for him to land. I think the only other better place for Bell to land possibly would have been Miami because he could have been an absolute star down there. I think he could. there's still a chance that maybe – he could end up in Miami. I think he would have very well hurt the development of Miles Gaskin. Um, I think what they are building down there in Miami is legit. And I think Bell would have fit in there possibly nicely, but Brian Flores just uh, couldn't match whatever KC had to offer. And it was done. He went to KC. Can't be mad at him for it. But now that I am done talking about Le'Veon Bell, I want to talk about his former head coach, Adam Gase. And I have never really discussed my opinion is Adam Gase. It's clear to everybody, though, that I do not like Adam Gase um, at all. I think he's a joke of a head coach, just to be straight up with you. Um, who am I to judge a head coach? Um, just a small college kid that um, has literally no media connections with anybody. But still, I think I can look at the way he gets his team out there to play and be like, yeah, this guy stinks. He, he does a terrible job. I don't fully understand how this guy is still a head coach, let alone actually even got the job that he currently has. I don't. I don't understand it. Two other head coaches have already been fired this season. Already. But I don't know if those guys were as bad as head coaches as Gase has been over the last couple years of his career. Gase was kind of a hot commodity. Um. After being Man, uh, Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator in Denver there for a couple of years, when Manning had that offense just humming with Demarius Thomas, Eric Decker, Emmanuel Sanders, with, I mean, they had running backs like No. Sean Moreno, Monty Ball, Willis McGahee. Like, they didn't have serious running backs, but they had that offensive running. And all of those guys that were in that offense, when they left that offense, didn't do crap anywhere else. Not a single one of them. Julius Thomas, the tight end, he didn't do nothing when he went to Jacksonville. Demarius Thomas did nothing when pretty much when Manning left. Eric Decker really didn't do a whole lot after he left Denver. Emmanuel Sanders kind of has, but like 
he is the lone exception from that offense that has done something productive in his NFL career since, including the offensive coordinator, Adam Gase. He's been terrible since then, pretty much. Um, Gase went to Chicago in the 2015 season, so he actually was not part of the Denver team that won the Super Bowl in 2015. He followed John Fox to Chicago for a season, and then he was hired by the Dolphins from there as their head coach. And many assumed this would be an amazing hire for the Dolphins. They thought this was going to be the guy that was going to help Ryan Tannehill, but the exact opposite happened, especially for Tannehill and the Dolphins. <laughs> Tannehill became a backup when it was all said and done, and Gase left Miami. Uh, it doesn't help that Tannehill was really never healthy in Miami. Uh, he was healthy for pretty much the final season. In his first season as head coach, Adam Gase had Matt Moore for a couple games. In his second season, he had Jay Cutler. Um, and then in his third season, he had Ryan Tannehill. And that team was not that great in his third season. But by then, all the good talent and everybody that wanted to play football that actually cared and was decent was either off the team or riding the bench, which is the sad part. And I remember the day, like, when they hired Adam Gase, and I was like, oh, this could be a good hire. I was on the side of it. Oh, it might be a good hire because the media made me think that Gase was this great offensive mind when really it just doesn't seem to be the case. In his first year in Miami, players that were in that locker room uh, just kind of hated him, just kind of like his first year in New York. It's a very similar situation. They don't like the guy. Like, I remember uh, one of those players was Jay Ajayi his first year in Miami. And I remember the day Jay Ojai was traded because a friend of mine from high school was, um, he's actually a fan of the Dolphins. And uh, I forgot to turn my uh, ringer off in class the day that Jay Ojai got traded. So my phone goes off. We weren't really doing anything. We were just already finished with class. So we were just sitting there talking. And I look at my phone and it says, Jay Ojai traded to the Eagles for a fifth round pick. I, Me and my buddies were just sitting there absolutely roasting my other friend because like, Jay Ajayi at that time was a good running back in the NFL. Sadly, he get he got bit by the injury bug and things did not work out for him. But at that point in his career, Jay Ajayi was a solid running back, honestly. And from that point on, it was just like, I wasn't sure what Gase was trying to do in Miami. I was confused by the things because after his first year, he ended up moving on from Jarvis Langer, who was the best receiver Miami probably has ever had. Um... But I, and the further he was in Miami, the longer he was there, the more it was like, Gase is just Gase just can't blend with guys. He and everybody he brought in just didn't blend with him. I mean, there was guys that just could not stand him that he would draft. Like it, nothing seemed to work. And but you know, since his first pretty much day in Miami, but when he started there, he had locker room problems. And the Jets being in the Miami Dolphins division, you think they'd see that, but it seems like they didn't, and they fell for a trap because Peyton Manning gave them – hey, Peyton Manning was like, hey, this guy right here, he's pretty good. I, he helped me get to a point where I could win another Super Bowl, and I'm just like, I just don't know. But it just seems like Gase really does not care at all. He'll get rid of anybody. It does not matter who you are. And there has been players like Le'Veon Bell who just didn't want to play for him. Jamal Adams, he's one of those guys. Devontae Parker did not want to play for him. Devontae Parker, like, rode the bench, did not get many looks. He was considered a bust. And then last year, he came onto the scene, and people were like, man, Devontae Parker, not a bad player. It has to happen to also coincide with the when Ryan Tannehill came onto the scene, and people were like, man, Ryan Tannehill. T Tannehill looked like one of the best quarterbacks in football last year, and he looks very good this year again. So Gase clearly is not an offensive mind and player, quarterback, whisperer, offensive guru that we thought he was. Like the players that didn't want to play for him that have gone elsewhere have done very well. Jamal Adams, he's done very well. Robbie Anderson, Leonard Williams, like Le'Veon Bell, he's going to do very well in KC. But I just mentioned Robbie Williams, and I have to get this off my mind. Just mentioning Robbie Williams just brings up another great point about how Gase screws and doesn't do very well with players like Devonte parker was considered only a deep threat now he's considered a criminal number one wide receiver by a team in the nfl robbie anderson was only considered a deep threat now he's the carolina panthers number one option anderson was only reviewed like as i said as a deep threat and possibly maybe a number two wide receiver when he left new york then he's he's now in carolina playing for his former college coach matt rule 
and he's become the Panthers' number one wide receiver. He's received already double-digit targets in three of his five games. Three of his five games, he's received double-digit targets. And he has like 500 yards this season. He only has one touchdown, but he's already eclipsed 500 yards. He maybe would get one, two, one or two, maybe three catches per game when he was in New York, and that's because he literally only ran straight down the field because that was what Gase thought he could do. Gase didn't think he could do anything else, and Gase didn't try. Gase had Robbie Anderson's value so destroyed that he signed a, a, an extremely friendly team deal with the Carolina Panthers, especially for the type of the production that he's already put onto the field. I mean, he is putting forth something. He's putting forth a very good season for a wide receiver. Very solid. He's actually the seventh-ranked wide receiver in um, most fantasy leagues, PPR-wise. And, it, yeah, he's just been very good. And Tannehill. Like, Tannehill, he's another guy that was under Gase, and he's doing very well. He's starting to look like he is a legit good quarterback in the NFL. And Gase almost ruined his career. He left Miami to go be the backup for Marcus Mariota. That's what he originally left Miami to do. Now he's the starting quarterback for the Tennessee Titans, and Marcus Mariota is the backup quarterback for the Las Vegas Raiders. It's even rumored right now. This is how dumb the Jets are. The Jets decided to move on from one of the better running backs in football still, in my opinion. They decided to stick with Gase, and it's rumored that the Jets are trying to lose, and if they lose and they end up with the first overall pick, they're going to take Trevor Lawrence over trying to rebuild with Sam Darnold, which means they'll move on from Sam Darnold. Now, would bringing in a younger quarterback and still have all those roster problems fix anything? Not at all. Uh, it's not a good idea, but that is what you get with the Jets. I think that if they plan on fully just tanking, they should build around Sam Darnold. They should attempt to give Sam Donald weapons. They should attempt to give Sam Donald a comparable offensive line, a capable offensive line. Try. Sam Donald is a very, very talented quarterback. Why are you not trying to build around him? What are you doing, Jets? I guess whatever they do is going to strictly hinge upon whatever the next regime decides to do, if they have a next regime. If Joe Douglas and Adam Gase get fired, which I'm assuming they should, because they've done a pretty poor job, but they might not. Who knows? It's tough to tell at this point. But uh, the future for the Jets, it doesn't look extremely bright. Not at all. But moving on, we're going to talk about a team in their division and another team in the AFC. And this is my game of the week, the Jared Barnes Show game of the week, BB Sports Media game of the week. It's the Chiefs versus the Bills. Patrick Mahomes versus Josh Allen. A game that could be the start of the next great NFL quarterback rivalry. This is the first matchup between the two strong-arm quarterbacks. I Honestly, I don't know if the NFL has seen a matchup between two quarterbacks that can chuck the ball like these two. I feel like that's, that's a stretch, me saying that. Um, I feel like I could be lying there. But these two right now are the two quarterbacks in the league that can throw the ball the furthest, in my opinion. Uh, Patrick Mahomes is, he does things that are throwing the football that are amazing. Josh Allen can literally just, he's got a hose. He can chuck that thing wherever he wants to throw it. And I'm excited. Both of these guys had high praise for one another coming into this week. Uh, Allen had this to say when he was asked about Mahomes. Everything I've heard and been told about him, he's a grade A dude, a stand-up dude. It's hard not to root for him. I love watching him have success, except this coming Monday. I kind of started reading through that because it was my notes and I wrote it. And uh, Yeah. But uh, Mahomes had this to say about Allen. We've crossed paths a few times. I really respect his game. He's been someone who has gotten better and better every single year. From everything I've heard and everybody that I've been around, he works his tail off. He's a guy that I know I will be facing a lot of as our career goes on. And he'll be a great challenge and great opportunity for me to go up against this team and him at quarterback. Now, the facing a lot um, line that Mahomes used is intriguing, partly because those teams are only guaranteed to face three times a year. So that tells me Mahomes knows that this Bills team is good. 
what he sees on film. He thinks this is a team that could win that division for years and years to come because that's the only way they'd be able to face each other because the schedule making, it hinges upon where you finish in your division. And uh, every couple years, every three years, you play a different AFC conference. And every four years, you play a different NFC conference if you're in the AFC. It's flipped and vice versa for the other side. But um, that tells me that Mahomes thinks that this Bills team could win the division this year and for years to come, which is in a very cool thing if you're a Bills fan or you follow the Bills because you're like, hey, this is a, this Bills team is pretty good, though. And you can see that when you watch them. Now, I hope that these two do get to play each other a lot. This is a matchup that I think is going to be good for the NFL because they these two have the personalities and the swagger to make this a fun quarterback rivalry for years to come in the NFL. Now, the great thing about this matchup is this. Both teams are coming off disappointing losses. The Chiefs' la- um, loss last week to a division rival, Las Vegas Raiders team, who was hungry. They, were, they wanted to win. They had two straight losses. Uh, people were dissing them. People were saying things that the Raiders aren't for real. And the Raiders had to come make a point, and they did versus the Chiefs. And the Chiefs laid an egg. They, they, they stunk it up a little bit. But they still scored 32. Um, even in the game when they didn't play all that great, they still scored, still scored 32 points. That tells you about this offense that the Chiefs have. It's special, and we know that. But the Chiefs have not played up to par this season. They have not played up to their expectations, in my opinion. Their offensive line has been not as good. Their running game has been solid. But um, yet there was clearly room for improvement because they brought in Le'Veon Bell. The wide receiver core, they've, there's been more drops this year than I think they had last year. I don't know that for certain, but when I watched them, there has been miscommunications and stuff like that. But it's early, and without the preseason, this team, that that's going to happen. Like uh, the box, they've had those similar situations. So there's that. And um, like I said, they're both they both coming off of loss. The Bills lost. They got throttled on a, in a Tuesday night primetime game, which was an embarrassing loss for them. But they're going to have to stick back up and come back up and try their best to bounce back from that or else they could be in a bad spot here. So both of these teams are going to try to bounce back, but only one of them is going to be able to get the win. And this is a fun game for me to watch and for NFL fans to watch just because of this. I'm intrigued to see Josh Allen versus that Chiefs defense. The Chiefs defense has not been great. They haven't been as good as you would have hoped, but they've been solid enough because the Chiefs are 4-1. and one. Last week, Allen struggled mightily versus the Titans and looked more like the Josh Allen of old instead of the Josh Allen MVP candidate that has played for the most and majority of this season. Weirdly enough, though, the Chiefs, like I said, they've, they, they've not played up to par, which is shocking. You'd think they would. But like I said, without the lack of the preseason, the communication and stuff like that has just been off. At some point later in the season, you expect that to get back on to them to get back on the wagon, I'd, some would say. But I'm excited for this game this weekend. And like I said, it is my, it's the game of the week, or the Jared Barnshaw game of the week, BB Sports Media game of the week. It's my must-watch game of the week. Um, that, other than the Cleveland Browns and Steelers game, I'm so excited for that game as well. But I'm not really going to talk about that game. And the last topic I have before we get into my interview with Kate Elkins from Sports Radio. I watched the game last night on ESPN. Especially, I mean, I didn't know what to watch because there was no uh, Thursday Night Football on. So I was like, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to watch? I did some homework. Um, then I saw a, call, a high school football game on. And I had, you know, I didn't know if I wanted to watch it. It was high school. I settled on it. And I didn't know I was in for a treat. Little did I know, it was a game that I was going to absolutely love watching. It was Arch Manning's high school, Isidore Newman. And, you know, for those of you that don't know who Arch Manning is, um, I'm shocked that you don't. If you don't, well, let me tell you about him. Arch Manning is the son of elder Manning brother, Cooper. Yes, that Manning family. And he played... In a game last night, his first televised game on ESPN, and it was on ESPN too. Isidore Newman was hosting Booker T. Washington in a matchup of two 2 0 teams. Honestly, Isidore Newman was and is clearly, they were the better team coming into that game just because they have maybe one of the best quarterbacks I think I've ever watched in a high school game. Yes, he made mistakes. Yes. And I had been wanting to check out Arch since the first time I heard about him. 
when it was spring ball and he was still technically an eighth grader playing for Isidore Newman High School. And the hype surrounding him is a quiet build. It's there. There's a massive hype, but it doesn't feel as massive as it should be, personally. And he he's a heavily sought-after recruit. He's got scholarship offers from Bama, Clemson, Georgia. I mean, huge schools. And he's a 15-year-old sophomore that is 6'3 and 190 pounds. That's insane. What a spotlight around this kid. And just watching him play, I would have never known he was so young. He makes such great decisions. He, he does make mistakes. Yes, he threw two interceptions last night, but any young quarterback makes mistakes. Any quarterback makes mistakes. There's none that are perfect. Not even Peyton Manning was perfect. Drew Brees isn't perfect. Aaron Rodgers isn't perfect. Tom Brady isn't perfect. Tom Brady forgot what down it was the other day in like two, a week a week or so ago on Thursday Night Football. Dude thought it was third down when it was fourth down. So even the greats make mistakes. This is a 15-year-old kid. And I would not have known that if you wouldn't have told me. I guess as a freshman, I didn't watch the game because, like I said, this is the first game I've ever watched of Arch Manning. But I guess as a freshman, when he played Booker T. Washington, he struggled a bit. He threw three interceptions, and he made some mistakes in last night's game as well as he threw two interceptions. But every time he made a mistake last night, the next drive he got, the next opportunity, the next chance he was given, he came out, he did his thing, and he balled out. And I was going into this game not really knowing anything about Arch Manning, but knowing the last name and knowing that he was a member of the Manning family. So I expected a type of quarterback. A quarterback that stands in the pocket like a statue and delivers the football and makes reads at the line of scrimmage. And as I watched him, I was amazed at his mobility and his athleticism. I didn't expect Arch to be the runner that he was. Just because when I think of Manning, like I said, when I hear the last name Manning, I think of a statue quarterback that sits in the pocket, makes reads at the line of scrimmage, and just when the pressure comes on and he can't get the ball out, he just takes a sack. That's what I think of. And Arch didn't really seem to force the ball like many other young quarterbacks that I have watched do. He was accurate. He had poise in the pocket. And he has a very nice arm. He isn't afraid to run it, though, when the pass isn't there. And that's what I liked. He has control of his team. And he now has a huge fan in me. I love the kid now. I watched highlights of him for, I think, an hour plus after that game ended. I loved watching what that kid was doing. I watched a little bit more film on it as well. Not just highlights, but some film. And while he might not be under a such big a spotlight as I think he deserves. Um, mainly because his, you know, his age, but if he was somebody else, I feel like the spotlight would end up finding him. Like if he take away everything. Just take it all away. Take away the fact that he's a manning person. Name him Joe I almost said Joe Burrow, but name him uh Joe Smith. Uh, he's the son of, like, uh, an electrician. Who knows? And this kid is doing this at such a young age. He might not have the spotlight that Arch has right now, but at some point he would be a heavily sought-after recruit. Heavily. And it's insane. Uh, the spotlight that is on him, though, it's partly smaller because, like, Arch isn't on social media, which is weird for a kid his age. And normally a kid his age at that good would have already probably committed to a school. And I'll be completely honest with you. When I watched him, at times it felt like I could have been watching maybe possibly Trevor Lawrence. That's how good this kid is. He's not as talented as Trevor Lawrence is currently. But he looks like Trevor Lawrence. And it could be just the, the fact that he wears number 16. He's sneaky athletic and can chuck the football when needed, but he makes great, he makes good decisions and stuff like that, and every team in the country is going to want to shoot their shot with this kid, I just guarantee it, but Arch isn't a, you know, a normal, everyday recruit that you see, he's not a normal overhyped recruit, he's not a normal, extremely highly touted recruit, mainly because like I said, he isn't on social media, and if he was, he might honestly be hyped up 
on the level of Zion Williamson or like LeBron was back in the day. It's insane the hype that would surround this kid if he was on social media posting stuff and stuff like that. It would be just absolutely fun to see. And I'm glad he's not on social media because it makes it for a more interesting recruiting story because, like I said, if he was on social media, there's a chance he'd be committed somewhere already just because of all the hype. But the Mannings and Art seem to want to take an old school approach where you build connections and you take your time. And I, I, I enjoy that type of recruiting because that's more of a challenge for the recruiters. And it, it's going to let you know who really cares about your kid. So I'm just excited to watch Arch over the next couple of years. I've done a lot of recording today. I've done a lot of note taking today. I did not sleep a whole lot last night. And I am kind of tired because mainly I was up a long time watching this Arch Manning stuff. And I'm just excited to watch Arch Manning. I hope, honestly, Arch, if you do see this, I hope that you do help lead Isidore Newman to their first state title in Louisiana history. Because even though Isidore Newman had your brother, your dad, well, not your brother, your dad, his two brothers, and Odell Beckham play there in their school, that team somehow never won a national championship. And I hope you are the kid that can do it because you are special. And I'm a huge fan of yours. Continue to put on for the Manning family and continue to put on for the football. Maybe the greatest football family of all time, the Mannings. I'm excited for you, kid. Just know that. Anyways, I'm tired. And, uh, yeah, it was a fun episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, coming up next is the interview with Cade. So I hope you enjoy that. Have a good one. And enjoy the interview. <laughs> all right everybody we're back and i have a special guest with me cade elkins from sports raid media and his sports raid podcast how you doing today kade i'm doing pretty good it's good to be back i'm glad to have you back on this is actually i talked about i said a, a little bit earlier in this episode but he is actually going to be a weekly recurring guest on the show. So happy to work that out with him. He's actually been somebody that has been very open and like wanting to be involved with what I have going on. And, you know, I really appreciate it, Kate. You're a good kid. I like you a lot. And uh, I'm glad to have you on as a weekly guest. So that, that yeah. will start. Yeah, you're doing great things. Yeah. Thanks, man. You too. I love your podcast. And uh, so you'll be a weekly guest on, we, we agreed on whatever you what, – we'll, we'll talk on Wednesday, but the episode will release on Thursday mornings. Yeah. So, yeah, every Thursday, if you want to check out my show, you'll hear Cade as well. So excited to have that going on in the future. But first thing I got to ask you, Cade, I don't know what – I can't remember what team is your favorite in the NFL or if you have a favorite team, but the big talking point this week has been the Dallas Cowboys and how they're going to fare with – out Dak Prescott like he's one of the best quarterbacks in the league easily and losing him I mean that's a significant loss how do you think they're going to fare without Dak and do you think they still have a chance to win the NFC East well I think they have a pretty good backup in Andy Dalton I think he's pretty good you know and they have a good receiving court. And I think they'll focus more on the running game with Ezekiel Elliott now that Dak Prescott is out. And their division is so bad to where I don't think – I mean, they're going to have a really good chance to win it because right now – I mean, right now, I would rather have Andy Dalton than Carson Wentz as of this moment. can't really disagree with you, though, because Carson Wentz has looked very bad this year. Very bad. My uncle, not my uncle, but like, I guess he's kind of my cousin. He lives out in the Philly area. And he has been saying, I mean, he's pretty much screaming from the rooftop the last two, three weeks that he wants Jalen Hurts in there over Carson Wentz. And I knew that was going to happen when they drafted Jalen Hurts. If Wentz played bad, the fans were going to want him out of there immediately, which I don't know if I, if Jalen Hurts is going to be much better than Wentz, but when you look at that NFC East, though, it is significant. It is significantly terrible compared to every other division. The fact that the Cowboys, I mean, the Cowboys have looked like a, a not a great team all year, even with Dak Prescott. And 
the fact that they're still the first team, like first place team in that division through five, what is it, week going into week six, it's sad. That, yeah. And that's the division that gets forced down our throats and they get put on TV more than anybody else. And it's, yeah. ridic- it's ridiculous. But you think that you think they can still win the NFC East then? Yeah, I do. Because I I don't hate Andy Dalton as a quarterback. And they got C.D. Lamb. They got Amari Cooper. So they have all these guys that's going to help them. But I really think they're going to be run first now that Dak Prescott isn't there. I agree. I think Zeke is going to get a massive not, – not a massive amount of carries compared to what he was getting before, but the, the involvement that he will be in, regardless of whether that be the run game or the pass game, is going to be a lot bigger of a role, in my opinion. Because with Dak, you can spread it out, I think, a little bit more. You can go four and five wide more often. With Dalton, you might want to focus on the play action, but it's not like Dalton's a bad quarterback. Dude's a former pro bowler, so. Yeah. But I, I, I don't know. I'm excited to watch the Cowboys. I think, I think Mike McCarthy takes this as more of a challenge than it was with Dak Prescott. I think coaching Dak Prescott, yeah. I think coaching Dak Prescott is an awkward thing. Because it's almost like you're coaching at that point Jerry Jones's son, because he is the face of the franchise in Dallas. And when you're coach, when you're coaching, when it almost feels like you're coaching the owner's son, it almost feels like you can't be too hard on the guy, because then you know he oh, might God. go to Jerry and cry, and then you're in trouble with your job. Yeah. So I, I always thought that the Dallas job was was an awkward situation for any coach, let alone a coach like Mike McCarthy. So. Yeah. But um, other big NFL news from this week, uh, clearly Le'Veon Bell um, got cut by the Jets, got out from Adam Gase, and he now signed with may, the Kansas City Chiefs who maybe have on paper the best offense that we have ever seen in football. How do you feel about that? How do you think he fits into the KC offense? Do you think he'll start over Clyde, Ed- Clyde Edwards-Alaire? I need to hear about it. Uh. I think you almost have to start him over Elaire. And, you know, Le'Veon Bell is one of those running backs that is very patient and, you know, letting the O-line open up the hole. And with the Jets O-line, that hole is never going to be open. Agreed. So I think he'll be better at the Chiefs. I just don't know how big of a – up this is for the Chiefs. They're already really good. They're already um, somebody that the NFL takes seriously, and they're already Super Bowl contenders. We'll see how it goes, but I think it will work. Um, I, I'm interested to see how they mix up him and Lair offensively. I agree. I think Andy Reid was probably, I mean, the second Andy Reid heard about that the Jets were shopping him and that they had a chance to maybe even get Le'Veon Bell, I can only imagine what was going through Andy Reid's mind. I mean, the what the yeah. the mastermind he is at designing plays, I'm excited to see what he does because I think there will yeah. be a lot of formations where both Alaire and Bell are out there or maybe where they go five wide and Bell goes into the slot somewhere. And then, I mean, what they can do with Bell is – very intriguing. I think people do, do forget, though, just how good that offense could have been this year, even if Damian Williams never opts out. I mean, I understand why he opts it out for his possible family safety and stuff, and I don't disrespect that at all. But it makes you wonder whether or not he will be back in KC next year because last year in the playoffs, he went on an absolute tear, and then he opts out. People will remember, and the only talk from this season is how good Edwards Alaire has been for KC. And it's not been like, oh, they're missing a running back. Like, nobody has even cared that he's gone. Like, I, I doubt he'll have a job in KC next year. Yeah, he probably won't. After, so, he's he's probably done in Kansas City. And I, I feel bad for him because he had such a great run in the playoffs. But just yeah. – I'm, I'm excited for Le'Veon Bell, though. I mentioned it earlier in this episode that he it's good for him to be out from under Adam Gase. I mean, there has been – uh, such an a, array of players that the second they get out from under Gase, they s- succeed elsewhere. The list, go, I mean, I talked yes. about it earlier on the episode. Tannehill, Robbie Anderson, Devontae Parker, the list goes on. But in other NFL news this week, there is some very big matchups this weekend. A couple that I'm looking forward to, 
I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. And the Steelers, yeah, they're, they are undefeated. They are playing the Cleveland Browns. It, I think – I can't remember if the game is in Heinz Field or not. But it's the first matchup since – well, it's the first matchup where Garrett's going to be playing since um, the incident with Mason Rudolph. Tomlin said this week that uh, he's not looking for the low-hanging fruit. He's not looking for drama. He's just looking to win a game. Uh, the Browns seem to think otherwise. Um, although Odell Beckham left with illness yesterday, Kevin Stefanski, he's had, he left with illness. I don't know what their tests came back to be, whether they came back to be positive or negative. If this game happens, how do you, who do you think is going to win this game? And I think this game is huge for the AFC North, and it's going to be such a fun game to watch. Um, I think the Steelers win it. And this is huge because right now the standings are the Steelers are winning the North, but the Ravens are and the Browns only have one loss. So if the Browns win, the Ravens would still be ahead of them because the Ravens beat the Browns. I think this is going to be high scoring, and that's surprising because when you think of these two teams, you think of defense. Yep. But their offenses are pretty good. I think I think the Browns will keep it close. I've been pretty, you know, before this season started, I said the Browns would go 11 and 5 on our podcast. I said they're going 11 and 5. I just think all Baker Mayfield had to do was to be average and he's been a little bit better than average, so and they're pretty good. Yep. So, I think the Steelers will win. But the Browns are a serious team. Yeah, the Browns are no joke. I don't think the Browns defense gets enough respect because it's led by Miles Garrett. Since he's a former number one overall pick, when you're a former number one overall pick, no matter how good you play, you're never going to get that, oh, Miles Garrett, he's this um, amazing player because the expectations were that you were going to be that amazing player. And I don't think he gets enough respect. But I think you're right. Baker only has to be average for that Browns team to succeed just with the running backs in that backfield and the weapons he has on the outside. One has to wonder, though, like even if the Browns have a good season this year, is Baker going to be the – do you think Baker's going to be the quarterback in Cleveland next year if he's only average this year? Um, yes. Because you think so? They still – yeah, because they still have Nick Chubb who's injured, and I think that will hurt them. But – if he's been average and they're winning games, you know, I mean, you got to – that he's going to get a little bit better. And if he – I just think he'll be there. I don't see that – I don't see them saying, okay, we went 12-4, and 11-5, we made the playoffs, and then we're going to get rid of our, our quarterback. Because it seems like every single year they have to fire a coach, they got to get rid of somebody, and then it is reset all over. I think this is a year where they can finally say, okay, let's start, and then we're just going to start from here all the way up to whenever. I agree with you there. A lot of people said that they don't think so. I think it's going to depend upon what free agency looks like with the quarterback market. I think there could be a lot of quarterback movement again this offseason, but I think it would be smart for the Browns to keep Baker for another year. Plus, I mean, they would only have to pick up, I believe, his fifth-year option which sadly that becomes fully guaranteed, but it's not like they don't have a whole lot of cap space. So they could, they can afford to do that. And then if they pick up his fifth year option, he's average that season as well, then maybe they, maybe they move on from him. But I think another year in Cleveland won't hurt him or the Browns. So another matchup that I'm looking forward to, I'll just stick in the NFC North because the Eagles played the Steelers. I think honestly pretty well last week, the Steelers could not run the ball versus the Eagles. They play the Ravens this week, and they thrive on running the football. The Eagles have a tough, stout defensive line. They stop to run very well. How do you think the Ravens are going to fare against the Eagles? Is it going to be an easy matchup, or do you think the Eagles might pull an upset here? I don't think this is going to be close. (laughs) I don't. I don't know. I mean, the Eagles, you know, they just can't score. And you look on the other side of the ball – the Carson Wentz struggles to score against anybody, and then you're playing one of the toughest defenses in the league. That makes it worse. So I don't know. I think this is going to be really not even close. You know, the Ravens, I think, are favored by seven. That should probably be like 15. 
at least. I mean, I don't Ooh, think it's I don't close know. at all. I think it's going to be a lot closer than people think. I don't like it. I I actually think – I don't know. I think the Eagles can pull an upset this week. I've oh. I've I've kind of been the m- more the week has went on too the more I have felt like hey maybe the Eagles can pull this upset off not because I'm a, I'm not thinking that because I'm a Steelers fan I'm thinking that strictly because of I yeah. think how well they're going to stop the run and the Chiefs proved it on Monday Night Football if you can get ahead of Lamar Jackson and it's been proved time and time again if you get ahead of Lamar and you force him to throw the football but apply pressure to him it's tough for them to make a comeback. And I think if the Eagles could score some points early, they can pull off the upset. Yeah, they're going to have to score. I mean, <laughs> they're going to have to score probably 20, 30 points to stop the Ravens. I don't know. I just don't see the Eagles scoring that many to keep up with them. I, I don't know either. It's weird, though, because, like, I thought there would be – I thought Vegas would think that there's going to be a lot of points in this game. But I'm looking at the odds right now. Like you yeah. said, the Ravens, they're actually favored by seven and a half. So the Eagles are seven and a half point underdogs. But the over-under is only 48, which is yeah seems kind of low yeah. to me if a lot of people think the Ravens could, like, pound them into the ground. That's that's a number I would stay away from. I don't gamble because I'm not – I legally can't gamble, and you, you can't gamble because you're in high school. But <laughs> – yeah. But that would be that would be a game. This was a, a game I would stay away from if I was actually making gambling picks on it. But I really do think that the Eagles could pull the upset. I think they would. I think they would definitely cover the spread though for sure. Seven and a half. I think oh, they I can. Ease, I, I think they can cover that. We disagree on this. I can tell. But uh, yes, they were. I watched the Eagles. I've watched the Eagles like I think three or four times this year. They're a much better team than their record is. The problem is their their offense is pretty bad. Like mainly because their best receiver, their best receiver is a former quarterback in college, Greg Ward, and it's when you when you have that as your best option they needed, to they throw need to. Receivers. They need a, they need somebody bad, yeah. badly. But that's a yeah. game that I'm intrigued to watch. Another good game on Sunday. The Packers and the Bucks face each other. The undefeated, the Packers are four and zero coming off a bye week. The Buccaneers are three and two, but it looks like they're going to be getting Chris Godwin back. May they, they might have a, a healthy Mike Evans. They actually might have a healthy wide receiver core coming into this. They're both questionable, but it looks like they could have all their targets and all their weapons finally healthy on that offense, other than OJ Howard. But the Packers, they look good, and they're getting Devontae Adams back. Is the Bucks defense going to be good enough to stop the Packers offense? I feel like this game could be a shootout. How do you feel about this game? Well, I'm a Saints fan, so I'm rooting for the Packers. <laughs> I do think the Packers – I do think the Packers win. I do. I think it's very close, very close. Both of these teams are good. Um, the Packers, I mean, they're the best NFC team right now. They are. They're – I just – this is a coin flip game for me. I've been going back and forth with – do I pick the Bucks? Do I pick the Packers? Uh, I'm going – I'm going with the Packers. I'm going with the Packers. You're going with the Packers? I, do you, strictly because you're a Saints fan, you're probably yeah. going with the Packers. It's just business moves. But I think I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the Packers probably. side as well. Um, I don't think the Bucks offense is going to be good enough to hang with uh, Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers is playing on an ungodly level right now, in my opinion. Um, he's my MVP for this season. Um, a lot of people have Russ as their MVP. I don't know how who you have as your current MVP right now, but if the season ended today, I think Rodgers should win it, and I would like fight so hard for him to win it. I, I think they are the best NFC team just because I think the Seahawks' defense is uh, straight-up garbage. So the Packers are easily the best team in the NFC. Yeah, they are. And if Tom Brady and the Bucks could figure it out, um, they could be a, a threat. But I don't, I don't think this is a game where they figure it out. I have the Packers as well. I think the Packers like could the win Packers. by – Back to – What were you saying? Yeah. 
Back to the Seahawks. Back to the Seahawks point here, real quick. The only reason I don't consider them Super Bowl contenders is because of their defense. That's the only reason. If they had a decent defense, agree. They would be very serious. I just I can't put them up there with the Chiefs or the even the Ravens and even the Packers because you know the Chiefs would probably score forty on the Seahawks with ease. Yeah. I think I think that Russ could keep up with the Chiefs, but the problem is like that defense is it literally they literally just open up and ask people to directly run through them. Like it's it's sad. I mean teams have thrown yeah. all over them. Kirk Cousins looked very good against them last week and I don't think that Vikings team is actually that good yes. this year. And the the Vikings looked good They're against not. them. Which is sad. So I don't think the Seahawks are that good, but with Russ carrying them, they can go pretty far. But I think with Rodgers carrying the Packers, yeah. they can go further because that defense is more solid. And then the final game I want to kind of discuss is the Chiefs and Bills because that's the, that is a Monday game. Uh, as long as stuff goes normal, that game will be played at 5 o'clock on Monday. Both teams lost last week. Both teams are coming off. It's yep. going to be a bounce-back week for them. Who can come out and show – that they prepared better because the Bills got embarrassed on Tuesday night. I mean, just straight up embarrassed. Yeah, they did. The Chiefs lost to they a Raiders. Did. And they lost to a Raiders yeah. team that is pretty good. And, you know, I'm just I'm just wondering who do you think comes out in this game and shows that they're the real deal? I think the Chiefs do. And, you know, they don't really have to show us because they are. We know. Yeah. yeah. Then the Bills playing the Titans and getting absolutely demolished. I mean, Derrick Henry, that, I don't know if you've seen it, but that clip of him just shoving that player. Josh Norman. Yeah, he just destroyed Josh Norman. Something. Yes. I I think the Bills. I really want the Bills to be one of those teams. I do too, because I like Josh Allen, but I think the Bills just I ran into. To be there. I think they just yeah. ran into a buzzsaw. Like everything seemed to be going like the Titans. It was kind of the Titans versus the world on Tuesday night. Like everybody in the, coming into that game because of everything going on with the Titans, they wanted them to lose that game, and the Titans, knowing that, used just counterreacted that, mate, took that as like their kind of their reasoning to want to come out and pound this team into the dirt. And it worked out for them. I don't know if they can carry that momentum through the rest of the season, but for that week, it worked for them. And I don't know if the Titans are for real or not. After that game, I have to say, yeah, they could be for real because the AFC South, after Indianapolis, that division is pretty bad. Like Jacksonville, they're a terrible team. And Houston does not look like a very good team this year at all. And that's a shame because that's such a waste of Deshaun Watson's talent. But – Tennessee yeah. looks like they could yeah. be legit after that Bills game. But then you got to wonder, did the Bills, did the Tennessee Titans reveal that Josh Allen maybe isn't as good as everybody thought he was this year? Like he, it looked like he was improving, but maybe that was just because the Titans found a way to stop what the, the scheme they were running to cover up Josh Allen's um, problems. And I think that's kind of what happened. I think I, the, I think the Chiefs are going to come out and probably probably win by 10 plus to be honest with you. Yeah, I think the Chiefs come back, bounce back, and you know the division race for them is not very far off. The Raiders are 3 and 2, so they're not very far off. So the Chiefs need to get a win and I think they get it. I I I agree. And uh yeah, so that's kind of all the NFL games I wanted to talk about. I haven't really got to talk about – I don't even think the last time you were on, we got to talk about college football that much. I'm not sure who your favorite team is. I don't Come, think we did. I, I couldn't – I can't remember fully. It was – It was. it's been a couple – what was it, a month and a half or two months since we talked? Like, yeah. like kind of on an episode and stuff. Mm-hmm. But 
Yeah. Top five teams in the country. I mean, there's a there's a huge matchup this week in Georgia, Alabama. But Nick Saban's tested positive for COVID, so you don't know how that's all going to work out, whether he's going to be there or not. But it seems like they're going to go on with that game. Um, I feel like this game is one of those games that's mm-hmm. going to play hugely, and I mean, just massively into the college football playoff talks. And who do you think wins that game? You know, Nick Saban not coaching is pretty big. But I still think Alabama is a really good team. Now, they're going to have a tough matchup because I think Georgia the best defense in college football. And if Alabama playing Ole Miss last week, Ole Miss just ran it up and down the field. And only Alabama only won that game because they got the ball more times. Yep. I think Alabama wins close. I mean, very close. And I think the playoff committee needs to consider Nick Saban not coaching this game. I agree. I agree. I think that is a big difference. I also think that if Kirby, if Georgia ends up winning this game, uh, this should not count against uh, Nick Saban's record uh, versus assistance because he's really technically not there. Oh, no. But I actually yeah. – my – my Heisman player, the player that I, I want to win the Heisman, plays for Bama, Najee Harris. After his five-touchdown game last week, I mean, he has clearly shown that he is the top running back, in my opinion, in college football. And ESPN College Football actually put a poll out on their Instagram story earlier today. It was a Heisman, like, vote, like, who do you think so far? And they did a couple matchups. They did – it was Alabama versus Clemson is what it was. And then they did um, Kyle Trask versus uh, Kyle Pitts, the wide receiver. And I, I was voting on it. I voted for Mac Jones over Trevor Lawrence. And I voted for Najee Harris over uh, Travis Etienne. But I was shocked. Like, uh, the percentage for Trevor Lawrence, I think, was 84 to 16 when I voted. And then the percentage for uh, the running backs, Travis Etienne was destroying Najee Harris. And I don't, I don't think Etienne's had that great of a year, in my opinion. I think Najee Harris has shown that he can be a workhorse back. He can do it all. And he's extremely good. I think he honestly should be the front runner for the Heisman right now. Yeah, he kind of reminds me of when Alabama had Mark Ingram. He yep. can pound the ground and he can move outside of the pocket. So I think Najee Harris, he should be in that discussion. I think Mac Jones should also be in that discussion with Trevor Lawrence. I think the the is way tighter than people think. I agree. Mike Jones has played at the same level as Trevor Lawrence. I agree. Just out of curiosity, um, who has been your favorite college football team to follow this season? Well, I'm from West Virginia, so I got to root for the Mountaineers. (laughs) But my – my mom is a big Alabama fan, so I've been rooting for Alabama too. So until West Virginia is good enough, I got to root for Alabama. So I'm rooting for Alabama. But I kind of like I kind of like North Carolina. I really do. You know they are, and there's such a huge gap between Clemson, Ohio State, and Alabama and Georgia between every. But I think North Carolina is a pretty good team. I like Mac Brown. Uh, and it seems like this year he's finally getting his guys on the team and they're playing pretty well. I, I'm glad you brought that up because North Carolina has been my favorite team to follow other than Cincinnati. Um, seeing Cincinnati in the top yeah. 10 has been absolutely – I love every second of it because I think Cincinnati is an extremely underrated team. They're one of the best, like, group of five teams I have seen in a long time and. I really love that UCF team that was undefeated back in the day with Mackenzie Milton. But this Cincinnati yeah. team that, is, undefe- that yeah. is in the group of five right now is much better than that team. But North Carolina, the way they have yeah. just quickly turned – the way Mac Brown just quickly turned around that program, this is only his second season there, and they're already in – they're in the top five. Mm-hmm. They're in college football playoff talks. Yeah. And they look like – I don't – this is not their year – um, because mainly just because, like you said, there is such a huge gap between those four teams. Like, it, it's not even funny how big of a gap there is. But North Carolina is – looks like they could be a problem over the next couple of years, and they have a legit quarterback in Sam Howell. I mean, that he's a yeah. 
He's a day one NFL prospect when they he comes score. whenever he comes out, and they can score. But they they are a little inconsistent, but they are very young. Like, and I, they're going to be forced to be reckoned with in the coming years. Yeah, I I agree, and it's good. That's only good for the ACC because the eight. A lot of yeah. people talked about how the ACC was extremely weak, and now with the addition of Notre Dame, whether this goes on, like this year they have Notre Dame, and I don't know if it they're going to continue to have Notre Dame past this year. I think it would yeah. be good for Notre Dame to stay in the ACC. And I think it's only better for the ACC that North Carolina is good as well and that Notre Dame is playing like Notre Dame. So the ACC and has North to absolutely Carolina, love what's going on. North Carolina doesn't have to play Clemson in the regular season. So if they do somehow make it to the ACC championship, they would only have to play North Carolina then. And last year, they came really close to beating North Carolina. So we'll see. Yeah, um, I, I I would like to see that matchup because those two always kind of, you know, they always yeah, play yeah. each other well. Even before Mac Jones got there, North Carolina always played Clemson well. Mm-hmm. But I love Mac Brown. He's actually – he's my favorite college coach other than um, Dabo Sweeney. And yeah. uh, I, those are my two favorite college coaches. I, uh, I just absolutely – I like college football more than I like the NFL. But mm-hmm. – I don't get to watch it as much because I work every single Saturday. So because I don't get to watch it as much, I don't talk about it as much, but I love mm-hmm. college football. And uh, I like that you came on the show, man. This has been a great time. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. I've absolutely yeah. enjoyed it. Can't wait to do this again next week. Uh, I can't wait. Th- just again, thanks for coming on. Uh, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, this has been the Jared Barnes show with um, special guests. Kate Elkins from Sport Raid. And uh, yeah, have a good one. All right.